Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. You are now listening to The Professional Homegirls, it's the kid Ebony from the PhD podcast, the only place where you would hear interviews from Black women anonymously on stories that would enlighten and expand on taboo topics. Now, if you hear someone that sounds familiar, mind the business that pays you, child. If you like the PhD podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please, five star reviews only. Hold me down, don't hold me up. Merch is now available on the site as well as my book list, so please make sure you visit the link in the show notes below. You can connect with the kid on Instagram at the Professional Homegirl and at the PhD Podcast. If you are on Twitter, please follow me at the PhD Podcast. Now, if you are all caught up with episodes, listen to the bonus episodes by supporting the PhD Podcast Patreon account. To support, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash the PhD Podcast. Now, please keep in mind that all of my guests are anonymous, so let's begin this week's episode. So I am super excited to bring my guest back from her episode, I Sell My Panties, as we talk more about her surviving sex trafficking. So to my guest, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I know. I'm super excited to speak with you. I read your books like within two days, and it was so, it was good, but it was also informative and heartbreaking as well. Nice. Thank you uh, for supporting my story. Definitely appreciate you grabbing those books. I know, even though Amazon was cost blocking. <laughs> right? So, right. So before I begin, I want to apologize for a comment that I made during our previous conversation. So I was listening to our episode that's coming out tomorrow. 
And I mentioned that selling pain is, is easy. And when I was listening to it, I realized that's not what I meant to say, but I think it just came out of my mouth. But however, it was said, and I want to make sure that I express to the listeners that any job is not easy, especially when it's a service position, a service job. So I want to put that out there. <clears throat> nice. I think I, well, I can't remember extensively what I said, but I think I might have said something, uh, you know, regards to, regards to that. And I knew what you meant, but I, you know, definitely said just being an entrepreneur in general has challenges. Right. So I wanted to throw that out there because I was like, that's not what I meant. Why did it come out like that? <laughs> so before we begin your story, can you explain what sex trafficking is? Hmm. You know, you might have to pull up Google for that. And, you know, well, of course, when somebody is sold without their will um, and those monies, you know, do not go towards that person. Um, a lot of people, when they think about sex trafficking, though, they like, um, you know, the movie, what, Taken? Um, and that's mm-hmm. their idea of trafficking is, you know, somebody getting kidnapped, um, possibly put on drugs. I don't really remember taking. It's probably been like, geez, that probably came out close to a decade ago. Um, but people think trafficking generally looks like somebody being kidnapped, um, drugged, sold against their will. And of course, that trafficker keeping the profits and you know that happens sometimes but trafficking is sex trafficking let's be specific because you know the most common form of trafficking in the united states is not sex trafficking it's um labor trafficking human trafficking trafficking are not the same thing someone to be sex trafficked they have to be selling some type of sexual services against their will uh, for you know another party um, mm-hmm. that's it now when most people get sex trafficked uh, at least in the United States they are not in like in. Um, you know they might ultimately be taken by their taken from their homes from you know emo- emotional and or physical but most trafficking victims know their trafficker they're not like picked up at Walmart mm-hmm. and randomly kidnapped um, but to answer your question again, trafficking, sex trafficking is when somebody is sold for sexual services against their will. Um, I just threw that out here at the beginning of our podcast because a lot of people think, you know, that most trafficking happens at random or you're going to get kidnapped. And of course, yeah. kidnapping happens and those are all things, you know, we should all be aware of our surroundings. But if you have children... Or if you're a young adult or a teenager yourself, you should be aware of who you're talking to on the internet. Or common scheme that these traffickers use. The common scheme is not hanging out at Walmart to mm-hmm. kidnap some random person. So let's get oh, into it. Well, do you think that the media plays into the misconceptions of sex uh, trafficking? Um, they do. Um, so I would say the biggest anti-trafficking organizations out there that are against sex trafficking, um, most of them are religious organizations. Um, mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I don't want this to be a podcast, you know, broad, uh, bashing the Christian community, because uh, that's, you know, not why we're here. Mm-hmm. But most of them are run by religious organizations. And, you know, I'm going to just put this out here really quick because I'm not, like, here to bash, you know, Christian listeners or anything of that nature. Abolishing the commercial sex trade is not the same thing as ending trafficking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a victim and also somebody who volu- who works willingly in the sex industry now, um, if listeners would take, like, anything from this conversation, like, one thing, I would, like, really love them to understand what the difference between the commercial sex trade is and sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I'm not really behind most of these anti-tracking organizations. Um, I think the sex industry should definitely be legal. I'm a worker in the industry, uh, willingly currently. And, um, these anti-trafficking organizations are, you know, they're a pain in my ass. Do you think that the, um, the sex worker industry will become legal? Um, most people in the industry do not want sex work to become legal because with legalization comes a lot of heavy regulation. Mm. Um, So as a pretty general standpoint, of course, I can't speak for all sex workers, but like if you did a poll, you'd probably find that a majority of sex workers do want is we want it decriminalized. Mm. So when you decriminalize the commercial sex trade, this takes away, well, when you decriminalize the sex trade, a lot of things happen. Um, You decriminalize certain laws. So this takes away incentive for prosecutors to prosecute people who are willingly working in the sex trade. Mm -hmm. This might prosecution of people and it shouldn't take away prosecution of people who are trafficking people against their will Mm -hmm. um when you decriminalize sex work people who are willingly working in the sex trade are no longer getting caught up in traffic in trafficking prostitution stings and they also don't have to do things like say pay for a sheriff's card which where prostitution is legal in Nevada uh, mm. those women who work there have to pay hefty fees to work under somebody else which is bullshit like we don't right. want we don't want to be forced to work right. right we don't want to be forced to work under somebody else in the sex industry a lot of us want to work independently anybody who does want to work at a brothel but, but sex, right don't want to be forced to work in brothels not everyone wants to work at a brothel when right. things go mainstream and you legalize sex work and force people to do stuff like work at brothels a lot of what type of people don't get hired are a lot of black people don't get hired a lot of trans people don't get hired a lot of people who really need to do sex work because for whatever reason they can't do other work and that's what we talked about in your first episode about racism. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, if the listeners here could take away anything, I mean, if you have kids, takeaway is to you know know what your kids are doing and be active in your children's lives. Um, outside of that, if you don't have kids, I'm sure you have nieces or nephews or somebody who's younger in your life you care about. But outside of that, that the commercial sex trade and sex trafficking are not the same thing. Mm. And the media really puts it on, puts it on heavy because of these, uh, really large, uh, corporations and charities. Y'all can't see me, but hopefully you can hear my tone. I have charities and, uh, air quotes, um, so it's really debatable whether they're helping the community. Mm. Um, and these are the people who dictate, for the most part, mm-hmm. are people who just don't like the sex industry, which mm-hmm. isn't which isn't good, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody who's been, of course, decides to go on and continue to work in the sex industry. But some of us do. And even to the trafficking victims who decide that they don't want to work in the industry anymore, you know, I feel terribly feel terribly that I was trafficked, but I don't think that the fact that we were trafficked should take away somebody's right to work at the strip club. I don't. Right. I agree. Um, are there any signs to recognize that someone is being uh, sex trafficked? And if so, what are they? Um, you can find a list and I can send you some linkage maybe to include with like an official list. But from my opinion, some things that you can look out for, um, and the younger crowd, you know, kids coming to school and, you know, their clothing may be off. They may be arriving to school late all the time. Their attendance might not be what it used to um, mm-hmm. when before they were, uh, you know, a pretty dependable, reliable, pretty just normal goes to school every day student. Um, things to look for the simple signs of domestic violence. Most people, uh, a lot of people who are being trafficked, you know, like I said, not being kidnapped at random, mm-hmm. they are being usually trafficked by somebody who they've known previously because there's some some element of trust that makes them willing to put themselves in a vulnerable position with this person. So, mm-hmm. I mean, traffickers, um, when they traffic younger people, um, they usually, I think they go after ages 13 to 17, but I haven't researched um, trafficking, sex trafficking here in a while. Um, I used to say pretty on the statistics, but not so much anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But they're usually targeting uh, younger people. They're targeting people whose parents aren't involved in their lives, vulnerable minors, people who might be involved in foster care. They might just have, you know, really busy parents who just aren't that attentive. Mm-hmm. Um, they're targeting people who've possibly been sexually abused already before people who've been sexually abused um, more likely to be candidates of sexual abuse again sadly 
Um, a lot of younger victims of sex trafficking are introduced to it by a family member. Somebody who was trusted um, to be able to get this person in this vulnerable position. Let's start from the beginning of your story. How was your upbringing? Um, grew up in a middle upper class household. Um, my dad had a pretty good sales job. My mom went to Yale. My sister also went to an Ivy League school. Um, I was the youngest. Then it was like pretty normal. What was your relationship like with your parents? Um, it was good, but it was kind of not very personable. Uh, mm. I was closer with my mom than with my dad. Uh, my dad worked a lot. Uh, my mom stayed home and worked some part-time jobs, but she was mostly in the house. Um, yeah, I felt kind of lonely growing up. I grew up in, um, it's become more diverse now, but when I grew up there, it wasn't very diverse. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like I had a lot of people who I could relate to. Mm-hmm. Do you think if your parents would have been more attentive, things might would have been different? Um, that's quite possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I really don't know. Like, I used to really be pretty adamant. Like, maybe if my parents were more attentive, that my situation would have been different. And you know, to an extent, I feel like that's definitely true. Um, I can't say I never would have met my trafficker, left my house, but I feel like if my parents were more attentive, I definitely, uh, wouldn't have been in that situation nearly as long as I was. Um, so I don't really know if I talked about this extensively in my books, but I did introduce various friends, either from school or just knowing them around the city through acquaintances to my trafficker and they were trafficked with me anywhere from a couple of days I know I talked about at least one of these girls actually now that I think about it but anyways they were trafficked with me anywhere from a couple of days to a few weeks but at the end of the day these um people who I was trafficked with had more receptive family members who were more keen on finding them, getting them home, whatever the fuck. Mm -hmm. So, uh, they weren't trafficked as long as me. (laughs) Yeah, not to jump ahead, but I do remember you speaking about one girl, how she was, um, I think she went to jail, and then she just went back to her family in New York afterwards. Right. And you were also bullying in school, too. Yeah. I was, Mm -hmm. um, bullied in uh, elementary and middle school. Um, I ended up going to a high school closer to the city that had most of the racism um, I dealt with in middle school uh, was racist in nature. Mm. And then you also started watching porn by the age of eight. Looking back, why do you think you were so fascinated by it? Um... I'm not really sure. Um, going back and talking to people who are my age now, um, seems like more people than we know might have been watching porn at mm-hmm. a young age. Plus, 
not watching as much porn because maybe they unsupervised downtime as me. Um, but I'm not sure. Just fascinated by it. Um, and I don't know. No parental yeah. supervision. So. And what made you start participating in chat rooms? That was a big thing when we was growing up, too. Um, right. That, too. I don't want to, like, normalize the behavior because I can't speak for everybody. But as I've gotten older and, like, talked to stuff, it does seem like chat rooms and people possibly looking at porn and all this shit was, uh... Not popular, but yeah, pretty popular. It was popular, yeah. Right. Because <laughs> I'm even thinking about, like, I remember watching porn when I was a kid, but I don't know how I was introduced to it. Oh, you know what? I think it was, like, Cinemax or something. Right. For me, it was just streaming on HBO. So mm-hmm. you stumble upon it, and then either it catches your interest or it doesn't. But During your time in the chat room, you met a man named Daniel, and I was very disgusted by this. Right. Tell about you, me, him. So, I'm going to tell you about it. Daniel has contacted me as an adult. What? Right. So, I met Daniel. Oh, my God. When, um... Oh, wait, before you tell the story, what happened? Did you curse him out or, like... And, and I think he might have responded, like, trying to deny or whatever. And so then I posted this picture on Facebook for a little while, and he was, like, really annoyed and angry. He got um, a wife and a son. Mm. Got a wife and a son. Mm-hmm. That's fucking gross. So I met Daniel when I was probably, like, I don't know, 10, 11. And mm-hmm. I met him. Um, and he was 35. Right. Um, way older than me. I met him on uh, blackplanet.com. Um, and he was aware of how old I was. It's so funny. Like, people are just so, just so fucking dumb. So, you know, a lot of people I went to high school with, sorry to backtrack, a lot of people I went to high school with have read my books. And a lot of people are, like, really judgmental. Like, this one person read my books and, like, posted post about it like so to anybody who has read this girl do y'all think that it was like her fault or like daniel's fault mm. and that's so fucking disgusting so just to clarify this person daniel definitely knew that underage but even if i had lied about my age which i did not i was probably like four six at the time i'm only like four ten now um I was pretty, like, pre-pubescent, not to get into, like, a bunch of details, but, so, this person definitely should have known I was a minor, and I told them how old I was, so, mm-hmm. just to put that out there, but I met Daniel when I was under the age of 12, um, this was before I went into middle school. But not to cut you off, but even when you describe yourself, like, you're describing a child in your book. Right. Like, he knew you was a child just by physically looking at you. Definitely a child, right. Definitely appear to be a child. I haven't gone into middle school yet, and I'm a legal midget currently now. Mm-hmm. I'm 4'10". So, this part 
without a doubt knew I was a child. I'm not, I wasn't like a six foot tall. They exist. I wasn't not a six foot tall, like 12 year old. Although mm-hmm. they exist. I was not one of them. He knew I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked time and, you know, it's really gross looking back on it, but you know, he's really romantic with me and, you know, I liked him. So I agreed to meet up with him. He drove uh, probably close to an hour to, and I went back to his house and, you know, long story short, we had um, a sexual experience. So he uh, sexually assaulted me because I was a minor. He gave me alcohol and marijuana. That was my first time smoking weed. And we had a sexual experience. So he is a child molester. Um, right. And, you know, that kind of set up. Well, that was my first sexual experience. So that did set up my the rest of my sexual experiences. That was my first sexual experience with anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I met with Daniel that one time and then was just like, just grossed out by the whole thing and then started dating guys closer to my age. But was still mostly dating older guys, mostly dating um, sexual predators. Does that make you look at men differently now? I mean, possibly, but it's hard for me to even say that that alone makes me look at men differently. I have now been in the industry. Um by my own free will for like nine to 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that by itself will kind of make you look at men differently. Right. Um, of course, I'm not going to make this a shit, a shit show. Talk about my clients and potential clients. Uh, some of mm-hmm. them are great people, um, but some of them are not. Mm. Um, so you- a lot that. of them might be good people to me. But they might be married. And, you know, to their wife, who they lying to, they're not a good person to her. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That'll make you uh, look at men differently. So how did you meet Ace? I met Ace at the mall. Uh, the local mall in my area in the suburbs of North Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, he hit on me. I think I was probably, I think I was like 14 or 15 when I met Ace. Um, he hit on me off pretty quickly. That was my first, like, real boyfriend. And he was way out of my league. What do not, you mean? Not in a good way, either. Mm. But I was definitely, not even to say I was sheltered, because my parents didn't pay too much attention to me. But I definitely, um, you know, I grew up in the suburbs, so I wasn't very street smart or anything. And, you know, Ace was in, he was older than me, and he was involved in, like, just a lot of shit, you know, that I had, like, no business needing to be introduced to. Hmm. What were some other red flags you noticed in Ace before y'all broke up? I mean, those those are some pretty major red flags. I'm not sure mm-hmm. I have too much to add. Um, of course, the red flag um, that he's going to be willing to talk to somebody age. So again, his age is a red flag. 
Um, he was, I was 14 or met him. He was 18 or 19 approximately. Um, which is a significant age gap, but in my opinion, wouldn't even be such a significant age gap if, um, and it really still is, but it's just even worse that he's been to prison. I mean, right. an 18 or 19 year old is graduated or graduating from high school where a 14 or 15 year old has not started. Right. Um, that age difference isn't so big in adults, like a 20 year old dating a 24 year old, but, or being just about finished middle school and being done with high school and in college. Yeah. Those are like completely, um, different maturity levels. Right. Y'all literally you- have like nothing in common. Well, the reason, one of the reasons why I asked, cause you mentioned in your book that, um, he assaulted you because he thought you was cheating on him. Yes. Um, so that would be like the last, the last red flag noticed uh, mm. before we stop speaking for about, about two, three years at least. So after y'all broke up, what was different with him when you reconnected with him after two years later? I can't say much had changed from like a personality standpoint, but um, I was because when I had met Ace when earlier on he was not really financially well off um, when I ran back into him he seemed uh, from a financial standpoint like you know he had things out and was doing pretty well for himself mm-hmm. I was a senior in high school then and I was sick of living in the suburbs of Atlanta um, I lived like an hour from downtown and you know I wanted to be able to do well for myself and be independent too Mm -hmm. so how do you introduce and explain prostitution to you um so he explained to me well I met him at the mall we exchanged numbers he told me that you know he could might have work for me I might be able to come live with him um, he explained it to me and presented it to me as escorting. Um, he also told me he might get me on webcams and stuff when I was 18. Um, I was open to that, but what I was not open to um, was not keeping any of my money or not being able to leave. Um, and also just put out some basic laws and facts here for y'all. Minors cannot willingly you cannot willingly participate in the commercial trade legally right mm. so when he was explaining this to you what was your what were your thoughts and i was fairly open to it i was excited to have the possibility to live near campus to have someone to show me around down to be able to have the finances I needed to be independent as an adult. Now, your first night you danced for his friend. How did you feel? Were you nervous? I was a bit nervous, but I don't know. A little more probably than your average teenager. A pretty fearless teen. Mm-hmm. I feel um, like you were too. I 
if anything, you know, felt a little bit of comfort knowing that this was Ace's friend. Um, actually someone who I had like met before, um, but out with or anything, but you know, just knew of. Um, at first I was excited. Um, I realized things might not be as they seemed when, um, Ace did not let me keep the money from that transaction. He assured me that he would be taking care of um, although he would be handling all finances and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I was young and dumb and went for it. Mm-hmm. And I know you was pissed when you, um, when he took the money from you. Right. And then your second week of work is when you went full force and Ace created your back page. How was that night? How did you feel? Um... Still a bit going on. The having moved out of my parents' house. Um, mm-hmm. things were still going relatively well. Um, you know, with my own money, getting my nails done, etc. I felt like things were good. Um, it wasn't probably maybe a month in, a month or two in, I don't know, when when the police ran into his spot because he was selling drugs um I can't speak for Ace of course um so about two months after I moved and I moved into him and to his uh hotel room that uh hotel was raided by the police and neither of us were arrested um in that ordeal but all of our things were um, lost because of it and that like the first I guess real stressful event we went through together and what made you move out your parents house um that really shouldn't have been that serious um but ultimately I was just kind of bored staying there in the suburbs of Atlanta. um you know at this point I was 17 I still didn't have a First learner's permit or driver's license. Uh, they're apprehensive to learn how to drive. And, you know, I was just really kind of yearning for more independence. Mm. And I'm just curious, was your parents going, going through anything for them not to, like, pick up on you to make sure you was good and stuff? I mean, I cannot say that they didn't tell me at all. Mm-hmm. And y'all have to understand that up like right on the cusp of technology really becoming popular so they are two years apart he's two years older than me uh me and my brother in my opinion were like the first generation of kids to get cell phones and the first generation of kids where it might have been there to be a family computer with internet in the home um, of course, these things might have existed, I don't know, 10 to 15 years before we had access to them, but they weren't nearly as common as they were. Uh, most of the people who I went to school with, um, by the time they were in high school, at least, they had a cell phone. And a lot of my friends in middle school, we had cell phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas their brothers and sisters, 
brothers and sisters who are five or six years older than us, they didn't have cell phones and, you know, wide access to the internet when they were growing in the same home, like five years mm-hmm. ago. They right. might have been off at college when, you know, we were starting to get access to this shit. Now, you know, I don't know. I'm not like, I'm not religious. I'm not into fake forgiveness. So, you know, I don't give my parents like too many passes. Like, I still think they should have been more attentive. I don't give a fuck. But at the same time, I can uh, just be a bit understanding that I grew up when it came out. Um, And I think that was one of my biggest downfalls into why I got involved in trafficking. Mm-hmm. Have you and your parents ever had a conversation and they apologized? Um, we have, but in my opinion, I have not gotten um any like meaningful apology to me. Um, I feel like they want me to take more accountability for my actions than I'm willing to. Um, I don't know. I feel like at the end of the day, (laughs) if my child moved out and they were a minor and, you know, they were a a questionable man, I don't know. Looking for my kid, that's just me. Um, Mm -hmm. I was not looked for, so. Right. I mean, they can say they look for me, but at the end of the day, I watch like crime TV and I see how some of these parents be. I see the police and they'll be like, well, we don't really know if we need to file a missing person report because they're um, almost 18 and blah, blah, blah. And their parents do not go for that shit at fucking all. They don't want to hear that shit fucking all. And they go fucking look for their kids. Right. So in my mind, there's no excuses. No, I have not got the apology that I've do you think you would ever forgive them once you do I mean me and my parents have like a cordial and kind of co-relationship I've pretty much come to terms with the fact I mean my parents are getting older they're going to be in their 70s soon I don't think Mm -hmm. that uh, they will be changing their opinion on uh, what happened right so once you fully moved in with Ace you were also arrested Arrested multiple times for prostitution. How many times were you arrested? I was arrested three times. And what were your parents' reactions? Because I know your dad um, bailed you out the first time. Right. Um, the reaction, of course, they were disappointed. Um, blah. But um, one of the reasons that I, um, I kind of feel like I went back to ACE and, you know, I won't put all the time on my parents, but I definitely do wish they could have been uh, more helpful. Um, uh, at the end of the day, so I got back with my parents, and, you know, they still weren't helpful. Like, mm-hmm. they still didn't want to teach me how to drive. That's what I got from um, your book. They wasn't still, they still wasn't physically there for you. Right. So I moved back in with them and still just kind of still wanting independence. I mean, now I'm an adult. I'm not in school. Um, I'll figure out possibly going to college, but there's no colleges for them. Um, 
they weren't helpful, whereas they had put my brother through school and like paid for his dorm and stuff. It didn't seem they didn't seem forthcoming with um those options for me. Mind you, I'm still only like 18 or 19 at the time. It's definitely not for me to to get into the college game, but just generally unhelpful. Right. Um, How do they with their siblings? Like, what do they think? Well, brother is two years older than me, and he would have been at college at the time. Um, we didn't really correspond too much about what his opinion was. Of course, he, he thought Ace was a fuck nigga, but um, you know, we didn't speak too much. He was out of the house in college. My older two siblings were also um, out of the house either in college or graduated from college. So it was just, you know, me, my parents, and me at the house. Right. And how many times have you been assaulted while working? Because when I was reading those stories, I'm just like, I had to stop reading because it was just, especially with you describing certain um, situations, it was very, like, heartbreaking. It was sad. Hey, um, honestly, in some form, way or the other, I've probably been um in the industry too many times to count yeah did you ever feel like something worse was gonna happen um I always felt like it was a possibility of course um and you're so small right um looking on my time in the industry I definitely feel very fortunate be here right working as a consensual sex worker now hey i still every day i'm here i feel fortunate to um be here um i'd say one of the biggest cons about sex work um is how dangerous it can be Mm -hmm. especially when niggas not wanting to use protection Right, from people doing stuff like stealthing, which is what we call when um, y'all might start a sexual experience with a condom and they try to take off the condom. Um, anything from people being unpredictable to people just liking to attack workers. Um, I honestly, I feel like I'm more active in the community, of course, now that you know I'm not with the trafficker when I was in trafficking and now I like I see it more uh, sadly sex worker murdered sex worker by stalking client Mm -hmm. sex worker murdered by date sex worker shot outside strip club etc and when you would go and tell April Packer what did he do because he didn't he say that he was going to protect you and stuff like I know that had to like really blow your mind Right. At the end of the day, one of the things that often a pimp, somebody that calls himself a pimp will say that they're offering you is protection, but they're usually not on the strip with you physically. um, They only offer so much protection. Mm Now tell us about your trip to Barbados because you was there for like three months and I know you was really excited about going there at first. 
Right. So I'm not sure if I mentioned this in my book, but um, I feel like you left a lot of things out in your book because I'm pretty sure you went through way more than what you uh, put in your book. In too much to even really put in one book. Um, I wrote these books some years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't know. I feel like I was more like concerned about protecting people. I mean, you can't edit out that nigga's name. You could not like really don't owe um him any anon any anything to make him anonymous. I don't owe him that. But we went to Barbados. Um, after my third time or I think this was, like, my second time getting arrested. My second time getting arrested. And um, him and this girl, who he had known for a pretty long time, family friend. Again, this is how the girls get introduced to trafficking is through friends, family, somebody they know. Um, the person who took us, who is a... I think her name in the book is Vanessa. Mm-hmm, Vanessa. In the book is Vanessa. Basically, I stayed in Barbados for three months. We worked at the strip clubs there. Um, which I mean, all strip clubs, even strip clubs in the United States, have prostitution going on. But I don't know. I accepted in Barbados. Um, the money was decent. Like, I mean, all could have been great. Like, if Ace, a piece of shit. Right. Uh. So, um. Yeah, we got in like a big fight. I don't even remember over what. Well, you oh, said smashed you came, my computer. Came to the hotel or came to the house and Ace and Vanessa was hugged okay. up. Okay, hugged up. So I was mad. Vanessa broke my computer. Um, and we left. So um, I continued to stay in Barbados for like another. I didn't have any money to leave one-way tickets and I was trying to get my money up so I could buy a ticket and go back home into these motherfuckers in the town why they got my purse and like stole my passport they get you away from your house they take your documents and they make it real fucking difficult to get the f- so mm-hmm. um I ultimately had to get the help of a Bayesian police officer and the help of the U.S. Embassy to get back home. I never got that passport back. And also during this time, you were introduced to cocaine. Was there ever a time where you were just like, you in that moment you were just like, yo, what the fuck is going on? I mean, I was but but when I left my trafficking situation, there weren't many of these resources. So I went to a rehab and at the rehab, they were like yeah, y'all just need to be completely sober. Or you're going to have a terrible life. I didn't buy into their religion there. I'm still smoking weed now. It's better for me. Um, yeah, I feel like um, rehab was a complete waste of time. It was definitely like you think being trafficked would have been shockful enough. But you have to understand. So I li- came from like a real well-to-do family. I was introduced to bad, but fast and still at a oftentimes glamorous. So, um, so I got to this rehab in like, um, country Georgia in like just a real poor, a poor town. 
I don't want to say what people would like those standards and that it's trailer trash, but I mean, <laughs> that's what I that's what I got off the motherfucker. Right. In a mobile home now, y'all. So I mean, take my take my comments how how you want them. Like if you're offended, you're offended. But um, it was a fucking culture shock to me, bro. People continuing at McDonald's, motherfuckers at the rehab, just telling you you should can't working your job at McDonald's. Just utter craziness. Mm. Just Chris. What would you change about rehab? Because I read when I was reading your book, I was like, why is the person that's in rehab, why did, why did they don't cater programs to that particular person? Like, it shouldn't be a general thing. I mean, I I was being trafficked, but I ultimately feel like I went to the rehab to <clears throat> with having been trafficked. Um, because, I mean, I, I hate to put this out there, but I mean... I even did some cocaine after I left the rehab and, you know, mm-hmm. I just did it that night and, you know, that was that. I don't really feel like I deal with any type of substance abuse issues that rehab was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't went to rehab like, yeah, I'm going to quit weed. Like, yeah, I might quit smoking weed because I have to to get through this rehab, but um, my life goal is to not not smoke weed. So, you know, we might not be on the same page here, me and the rehab. Mm. My not not drink. Uh, I don't have alcoholics in me, so I don't see why I can't drink. Right. I, mm. um, yeah, rehab was like a waste. Of- it was even more culture shock. So I got in, I started this conversation telling y'all it's trailer trash. And I was just, like, really shocked that people had, like, like, I had been trafficked, and I was just listening to people tell me their stories, like, God damn, bro. Your life's been, like, fucked since you were, like, two. You've been smoking cigarettes since you were two. Yeah, that story? Oh, man. I can't relate. Mm. And, you know, it was an eye-opening experience, and I can't even say that, you know, I'm fucking terrible mad that I went at the end of the day for getting ahead in my life I don't think it was helpful for me um meeting those people to me so I don't want to just like make it sound like you know completely disregard those people's stories because those people's stories were important to me and they matter um but yeah the whole rehab experience Tyson So you're saying you don't think it helped the way that it should have helped. Right. So once you got in rehab, because you were working at McDonald's, you saved some money up and you got your apartment. And then somebody co-signed a car for you? Yep. One of my, um, uh, started the concept for the anti- trafficking organization who paid for me to go to the rehab he coached a car for me now that's great y'all I met some cool good people but you want to know something that's sad is that I feel like because I'm good at making friends with people and I'm 
accepting stuff from people that those people offered me more assistance than they usually offer the next person. Y'all, these organizations, for the most part, in my opinion, don't help people do shit. Mm. Like, y'all understand that that person co-signed for car for me because they thought that I was a good and responsible and that they could fuck with me and they wanted to go to help me um that has nothing to do with the these anti-trafficking organizations are not helpful you need a car they're gonna tell you to get a job and save up if you need a car my advice to you is definitely gonna to find something better than McDonald's unless you want to be on the side of the road all the time. Mm. I don't like buying cash cars if I don't have at least $7. That's just me. Right. And another thing uh, I thought was funny but I was so happy for you is when Ace mom called you and she told you you had some money. Right. Yeah. She had the audacity and these people probably go to sleep at night thinking that not terrible fucking people, but at the end of the day, they're aiders and abettors to fucking traffickers and people who helped him facilitate his crimes. She a piece of shit too. They can honestly all go get and die. You know, Ace's uh, brother got murdered. Uh, while he was locked up in prison. Oh, wow. You hang out with shit. Shitty shit happened to you, bro. Has he tried to reach out to you recently? Actually reached out to me last year on my birthday. Mm. I haven't heard much um, about him because I'll keep my little tabs on him. I haven't heard movement from him. I also haven't been able to see that he's been arrested, but he's so quiet, so I wouldn't be surprised. Hmm. So once you started to rebuild your life, you began dating someone who is now your husband. And for some reason, I thought you was going to say your husband was Brandon, because you man, you, when I was reading your book, you were saying how Brandon was like really nice to you, and that was probably like the first time you've been around a man that didn't want anything sexual from you. Oh, I wish. I'd love to be married to somebody in Barbados right now. (laughs) (laughs) But were you shocked at how nice he was to you? Um, I was, but looking back, well, I was time, I guess I should say. But looking back on it now, um, I can't say I'm so surprised. Right. Hmm. So was it hard for you to open up to your husband about your past? Um, not particularly. I don't know. I feel like you know he didn't. He and really nobody knows um the full of what I went through being trafficked. Mm-hmm. Do you think he would ever tell him or someone else? Mm, I mean, I doubt it. I don't think there would really be 
any benefit and I really don't think it would be possible. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, about slavery uh, within the United States, they speculate that was a hundred times worse um, than we'll ever know because we didn't experience it. And of course, they try to erase history. Um, I'm trying to erase my history, but nobody um, besides me has experienced what I've been through. Mm. Does your past still hunt you? And if so, in what ways? Um, it does. I have uh, PTSD for being trafficked and assaulted. And, you know, I'll probably be living with that forever. Mm. Did you ever want to, have you ever did therapy or? Like, what does healing look like for you? Um, I've done therapy and, you know, I've done therapy in the past and I'm not sure what healing looks like for me. Do you think it's achievable? I don't know. I'm just living life. Mm. So I know that you have two daughters. So what do you plan to do differently with them if you wish your parents would have with you? Um, I, of course, want to be attentive with them, but I'm not even sure if saying being attentive is really the word I'm looking for. Um, I think it's important that they just be educated. I'm going to be attentive, but I'm not sure to what extent. Like, I mean, I guess it'll depend on, you know, the impression I get of them when they older whether I feel like one day I'll have to go through her phone I hope I don't um I feel like your biggest step in anything like this happening to your children or your family members is having me educated of course kids are going to be kids so they might be mischievous they might talk to people when you don't want them dating etc etc but um things like that aren't supposed to lead to trafficking um your best bet is and what i'm thinking my best bet is going to be is to teach my kids about you know what kind of people are out in the world when the time comes to it uh your best bet is knowing your kids have these cell phones and computers and stuff when they have more unsupervised time on the internet you should be warning them about stuff like kids stumbling onto porn is popular um when your kid stumbles onto porn if they ever do i mean hopefully that they'll know that they should close it why should they close it well one you know minors shouldn't watch porn and whenever you porn if you want to watch porn when you're of age uh it's so important that you go into it with the mindset that you know this is acting it's acting um, one of the biggest reasons that I'm like so minors uh, having access to pornographic material is I think that they uh, struggle with uh, the concept. Pornographic materials acting. I don't know why where parental is because of course you know teenagers watch shit all the time like games and I don't know stuff where there might be shooting and generally they don't 
that they can go out and shoot people. But right. people, grown adults, will watch porn and see sex acts perform porn and then think that, that that's something that I don't expect of their partner or that it's even going to be likely that their partner will like. Um, yeah, kids shouldn't watch porn. Kids should be knowledgeable. They have access to the internet. When you're giving sex talk, I mean, some kids getting their period at eight or nine. Like some people give kids the sex talk, you know, well before the age of 10. Um, knowing how she is nowadays. The sex talk, you should probably definitely be discussing pornographic and the fact that it is out there. I think, like, a lot of parents think that, you know, if they don't, like, discuss stuff with their kids, that somehow it'll disappear or it'll go away. But quite likely, your kids will be introduced to pornographic content in mid- in middle school, and if not in middle school, in high school. And, and other than that, with social media. Right. And they should know that you should turn that shit off. So what is your advice to someone that is listening to our conversation that is a survivor of sex trafficking? Um, my advice would be to, to the best of your ability, to try to keep it pushing, keep it moving. Um, you know, take it one day at a time. Um, it's hard having been trafficked if you're uh not seeing um a therapist uh definitely recommend that you try to work that into your schedule um i think therapy the right therapist can be good for um any mm-hmm. not just of course people who've gone through dramatic but anybody anybody yeah i was i love therapy therapy has helped me a lot for my anger I definitely agree. Anybody can do therapy. I'm just curious because I know you haven't, uh, you haven't, you stopped escorting maybe like 10 years now? It's been 10 years since you stopped doing Or were able um, to get out of it? Well, I've been away from my career for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a professional dominatrix, um, which is a form of escorting. Um, I've been a professional dominatrix for in-person clients consistently for about five or six years now. Um, yeah, it's fun stuff. So do you think you would ever leave the industry? Um... I'm not sure. I mean, of course, we all hope to retire. So, I mean, I think the basic answer would be yes. I think if you ask anybody, if they ultimately plan to leave their industry, I hope for everybody the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're asking me, like, if I plan the industry and, like, focus on something else full time that um, makes me money that I need to survive, probably not. Hmm. Why not? Um, I mean, I have other sources of income and other interests. You know, I've put effort into, such as writing my two books. Um, but 
Sex work pays me pretty well. I to do a lot of traveling. Um, I'm able to make my own schedule. Um, I'm able to not work five days a week like a lot of people do. And, you know, if something amazing presented itself where I could smoke weed all day and make my own schedule and my customers often, like, bought me gifts for no reason, if something else presented that, then, you know, I'd probably want it, but I'm not sure what that is. Well, I appreciate you for sharing your story. I really wish your parents or just somebody would have been there for you. Because I just reading your story, and I can only imagine certain things that you didn't share with us. It was it was very heartbreaking. But I'm happy that you are in a safe space. Um, I am too. Um, hopefully, you know, this story will help somebody out. Um, if you Definitely. are possibly interested in getting into the sex industry, you do not need a money maker to do it. If you feel financially irresponsible, like you can't handle your finances, then I would recommend take your money from sex work and hire a financial advisor hmm. with credentials, or else I would not hire them to manage my finances. Right. Do you have any more, any other advice for people who might want to get into the industry? Because um, I feel like a lot of things people glamorize, and a lot of people are not being honest and real with people, like how, how you've been throughout our conversations. I was being in the industry, but the industry does have glamorous aspects, and, you know, that's one of the reasons I work in the industry. I do like the gifts I get from clients. I do like being able to make my own schedule. Um, do I live in like a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar house? Not yet, maybe one day. Um, so I wouldn't say it's like a get rich quick scheme or anything. I would say if you're interested in getting in the industry, to definitely do your research. And once you've done your own personal research, if you can, <clears throat> then get plugged into some community. Um, I'm in a lot of great chat for local area visit as well as sex workers um, all around the world and you know some of my best advice I find some of my best friends um, make some of my best connections in life um, in this community group that I seek out mm-hmm. so definitely seek out community um, it's important to have like-minded people to be able to network with, to be able to ask for advice, to be able to give advice to. Um, like if you're interested in, I don't know, doing in-person work or say getting into shoots, because um, getting into paid shoots is something that I have been focusing a lot on lately. If you can play community and other people in your area who are doing the same thing, hey, have you shot with this company? Do you recommend? Um right. It's always a great thing to be able to have in your pocket. Right. Like I said, I appreciate you. If y'all want to know more about my guests and 
definitely support her with her books. Please make sure to email me at hello at phcpodcast.com. And I am pretty sure this will not be the last time that we'll be speaking with her. So until next time, everyone. Later. Bye. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.